I think you can make a strong case that Jonah was the most effective biblical prophet. If you were to go back and read the book of Jonah, his actual prophetic speech is one sentence. One sentence. He spoke one sentence, and the entire city of Nineveh repented. So highly effective in his prophetic speech, but reluctant. The story of Jonah, which we know mostly maybe from Sunday school, about the big fish, and we forget some of the other pieces, so just a little reminder for everyone. In the story of Jonah, Jonah is chosen by God to preach repentance to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were sworn enemies of the Jewish people. And so Jonah, rather than going to Nineveh, flees to Tarshish. He gets on a boat, trying to get as far away from Nineveh and God as he possibly can, because he does not want to do the mission God has given to him. But, spoiler alert, you can't run away from God. So a storm comes and begins to swamp the boat, and the the people on the boat realize Before this Jonah guy got on the boat, we were doing fine, so maybe he's the problem. So he gets off the boat into the water, swallowed by the great fish, and we know that part of the story. So finally, Jonah goes to Nineveh and does his one-sentence speech, hoping that they don't listen to him. But they all repent. And then we get to what we heard just a moment ago in our first lesson, how Jonah responds when he realizes he is the most effective prophet in the Bible. He wants to die. He would rather be dead than see the Ninevites repent. And even if you go to the end of the story, it's not clear that even after God tries to reorient Jonah's thinking that he ever really gets it. And I was thinking about that about this idea, and we can't really blame Jonah. If someone has been your sworn enemy and have done terrible, horrible things to you over a period of time, it's very hard as a human being to, to want something good for them, much less for them to be forgiven by God and included in God's grace or salvation. It's a very hard thing to do. The parable that Jesus tells his disciples and the crowds, I think, has some very similar uh, contours to it. Jesus tells the story and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner or householder who it's time for harvest and he owns a vineyard and it's time to get the, the laborers to come. So he goes to the marketplace and tries to hire laborers and sends them into the vineyard and they agree for the usual daily wage, and the word there is denarius. So a denarius, uh, we've talked about a little bit recently, but a denarius is the amount of money that it would take for a person to feed themselves and their family for like one day. So it's a subsistence level of payment. But it was pretty much widely understood that if you worked as a laborer, that that was the going rate. Uh, rate. So you didn't have to negotiate it or anything. That was just what you got. And it set up the system where people could find work 
feed themselves for the day, uh, but it also meant they had to come back the next day. So it's not a, a, a lot. But they agreed to the usually da daily wage. Then the, the land order comes back at 9 a.m., at noon, 3, and then finally at the end of the day at 5. And what's shocking to, would have been shocking to Jesus' audience, but certainly in the parable, is that the, the landowner decides to pay them in reverse order of being hired. So the last ones get paid first. And as the early workers see that the ones hired at 5 o'clock who only worked one hour got paid the denarius, they must have been thinking, what a great landowner. We're going to get a bonus. And then when they only get a denarius, they grumble and complain. Now, depending on how you read parables, sometimes we automatically assume that the most powerful person in a, a parable is a stand-in for God. So if God is the landowner, the, those who are working in the vineyards might be us, those of us seeking to follow Christ, those of us who've been in the church our whole life, uh, maybe the ones who go first, right? And, and we've, we've served the Lord faithfully, and we're looking forward to the eternal promise of heaven and all that that entails. And then it's not fair that if someone on their deathbed confesses Christ, that they get the same thing as me. I'm thinking of John 14. You know this passage. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go ahead and prepare a place for you. Some of us may have a very human mindset and we think, well, I'm going to have a real nice place. Someone else can have a place, but maybe it's more like a studio apartment rather than a mansion. Because we, we end up comparing ourselves to people all the time. And we develop in our own idea what's fair. If we both work the same amount of time at the same job, we should get paid the same. It's not fair if someone does just a little bit of work that they get paid the same. Don't we all agree? If you're one of the early workers, I think you're going to feel, if this parable plays out, that you were treated unfairly. But again, the difference between what's fair and what's equal. They're all treated equally. There are no mansions in heaven unless everyone gets one. And it's a gift that any of us get heaven at all. Because we sometimes, even if we know, if we've been lifelong Lutherans and we understand the theology of grace, we can still, in our humanness, think about uh, fairness. And we usually define fairness so that we maybe barely get in and then we judge other people who don't quite measure up to our standards. But we get judged, and it's not fair, uh, we get judged not by our own merit, but Christ who stands in our place. So that all people, and God's desire is that all people would receive grace. All people would be welcomed. All people will be redeemed and restored and have a place in eternal life. Even the Ninevites, which is what Jonah struggled with, that even the sworn enemies of, of you in this lifetime are loved by God. And so this parable, as Jesus tells it, of the vineyard workers 
who complain and grumble get caught up in this comparing that we so often are tempted and seduced by. And Jesus seems to be saying clearly that God's love is undeserved and free for everyone. It's a gift for you to receive, and it's a joy that other people get to receive it too. Now, there's a different way to think about this parable that I think, uh, in addition to that straightforward gospel good news of grace that I think we always need to underline and remember and hold dear, but there's an economic thing happening in this parable as well that I think is worth us to consider because I think Jesus, in whom he was speaking to at the time, was delivering a secondary message. Yes, God's grace is for all. Yes, we shouldn't grumble and complain. Let's not be like Jonah, although he was very good at his job, so that part is good. Uh, But think about the workers. So I was thinking about this parable about the landowner who goes out five different times, and I'm, I'm left with one of two ideas. One is the landowner has no idea how to do farming. Like, you should know how many workers you might need and hire them in the morning and have them work all day. Then he comes back and back and back, like, figure it out, right? Or there's something else going on here, and I think that's the message that Jesus is sending, because this is a parable. It's probably never happened the way it's described. So what is Jesus trying to communicate? I think he's making a message to landowners to treat workers with dignity and respect. The wage they get is just enough to live on for the day, enough to feed themselves and their family. In other words, that's equity. That's the idea that people should be treated treated humanely regardless of their abilities. Because let's just think about it. If this played out and you're the landowner and you go at first thing in the morning, you're going to hire the strongest, healthiest looking workers you possibly can. And if you come back at 9 a.m. or at noon, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to try to find the people who can do the work. So who's left at 5 o'clock? Who's left? They've been standing there all day. Every landowner has come by and, and made the picks, and they're the ones left. They could be the, old, the elderly, physically limited in some way, maybe even children. People who, if they don't work, won't eat. And this landowner models love of neighbor by inviting all kinds of workers to come work and valuing their contribution as short as it might be, giving them what they need to survive for themselves and their family for just a day. When he says, are you envious because I'm jealous? I mean, the generosity here, if you take it you know, literally, is, is not that much. But, a, but a, a different kind of landowner could have said, well, you worked one hour, so I'm going to give you a portion of a denarius. You worked half the day, so you're going to get half a denarius. And I don't think any of us would dispute that that seems logical. But instead, the, the choice that is made is that every person's humanity is honored treated with dignity and respect so they can care for themselves and their family. And how might that change? 
For those of you who are business owners or are in some position of authority, whether that's at work or with your family or whomever is under your charge, to treat every single person so that they have enough for themselves and their family. I think this is God's economic vision for humanity, that everyone counts, no one is left behind, and when everyone does well, everyone can do well and thrive. Jonah is sent to the Ninevites because God loved the Ninevites. The vineyard owner comes back and back and back and hires all kinds of workers and that they can receive what they need just as we can receive the gift of God's grace and it's more than enough and it's undeserved and it's free and it's the best gift we can ever receive. And we can give that kind of graciousness to each other when we see in one another our shared humanity and that God's love lives in each person. So may we have the vision and may we make that same gracious offer to one another at every chance we can. Amen.